the TARDIS lands on a spaceship and are quickly introduced to the centroids. Unable to leave when the TARDIS lock is stolen, the Doctor and his companions have to go to the Sensphere planet where they must deduce what the Sensorites' intentions are. Are they good, bad, or just frightened? And what is this disease that is affecting the inhabitants? This is the Sensorites. Welcome to Regenerated. there is a planet we call the Sensphere. The creatures on it, the Sensorites, have always prevented us from leaving this area of space. You mean they have some kind of power over your craft? Exactly. But it's, it's not that simple. They not only control our craft, they have some influence over us as well. Hello everyone, welcome back to Regenerated. I am always Matt and I am joined by my lovely co-host today, Becky. Hi. Hello. And this week we have the Sensorites. Uh, as always, Becky, what are your initial thoughts of the Sensorites? They look weird. They look weird. Mm. Thanks for that intellectual <laughs> response. Well, on the in the book, it says about a bubble head. They don't look like they've got a bubble head. Telepathic balloon-headed aliens oh, terrorise. All right. They look more like they've had a balloon stuck to their faces. Well, yeah. Well, we'll get on to what they look like in due course, but this is one that uh, is not very thought after in Doctor Who circles. I did say last week's on the podcast that I'd start looking at the uh, Doctor Who magazine's poll, 241 episodes at that point for the 50th anniversary. This one came in at 225 in the list, so it's quite low down the order. I personally... I think that's a bit harsh. I think people... Is I it, don't know. I think that's quite understandable, to be honest. Oh. It was a bit sort of long-winded. Well, I don't know. I, I actually and just when you think the whole serial's going to end, it doesn't. Well, to be fair, like I said just before, Doctor Who is subjective. And to be fair, I quite enjoyed this one. I thought this was quite good. Well, yeah, it was good in places. But I'm just saying, instead of, what, was it a six-part? Yep, it was a six-part. Right. Well, they could have done that in a fourth. Possibly. They possibly could. This is They're what I'm saying. They just dragged it out too long. Well, I have said that I do sort of um, like the four episode format better than the six. Yeah, I can see what you're saying, but this one didn't, to me, feel like filler. Some of the Daleks felt like filler in the end, but this one I don't think did. Uh, well, it's not Daleks, but you know. Well, I know, but I'm just comparing it to the Daleks. Oh, I'm a bit this one written by Peter R. Newman. This is his only Doctor Who contribution because after this, or shortly after this, he developed writer's block and <laughs> ended up getting a job as a porter at the Tate Gallery, Becky. Not much was really known about <laughs> him. Uh, it sounds about right. Mm. Writer's block, yeah, not half, because he struggled to basically... Well, <laughs> for the fact it was six-parter, he struggled to actually fill those. <laughs> so no wonder he got writer's block. Well, I think that's a bit harsh. Uh, serial. <laughs> I say it how it is. Well, serial seven, twentieth uh, of June, sixty-four to the first of August, sixty-four. First episode, the stranger in or strangers in space started off with that sort of cliffhanger from the last serial, uh, the Aztecs, where they said they were sort of moving but not moving. Obviously, like we said, it's a spaceship. There's a lovely little track and shot as they sort of come out of the TARDIS into the spaceship, which was really, really good. But before that, there's a sort of mention to the Doctor and Susan's previous journeys, uh, namely Henry VIII. And it also, you can... Got thrown a Parsons nose at him. Yep, that's right. I don't know why they call it a Parsons nose, though. Well, who knows? Because one, what's a Parson? Is it, start. Isn't it to do with a chicken, Becky? And the chicken's rear end? Yeah, but why is it called... One, it's not a nose... Because chickens don't have noses, really. 
and two is a whole other thing of what is a parson. Well, it's, uh, isn't it to do with like uh, like a vicar or something? I don't know. Well, I don't know. If you know, folks, comment on social media. What is yeah, a parson's nose and one. why? Yep. So there's like mention of their previous uh, journeys, and we also find that. Ian and Barbara sort of embracing this sort of role as sort of companions on the journey of the Doctor, uh, which is it's sort of they sort of gi- they they do want to get home, but they're sort of giving up a little bit. Um, they're sort of embracing it. They're not sort of overly worried. Then, like I said, we get that nice little tracking shot, which I thought was really really stylized for Doctor Who, especially in the sixties. And they aboard this ship to find that what they think is the two crew members that they find are dead. But in close inspection, they're actually not dead. They're sort of just sleeping. It's cause, More like comatose. Well, paralysed, sort of sleepy sort of type thing. Well, a coma is deep sleep, but your heart rate slows right down. Well, they did have to use a, a heart resuscitation device. We so find yeah, comatose. Oh, okay, okay, comatose then. We quickly find out that both, and this week, we've actually got easy names, Becky, instead of my butchered attempt that I had last week. <laughs> we have Carol and Maitland, which is a, is a bit of a Maitland. strange... Yeah, it's a bit of a strange name, that, unless it's a, a surname. Who the kid Maitland? Well, it could be a, a, a surname. Maybe they just call him Maitland as a surname, I don't know. Oh, I hope so. We find a out, crap first name. Well, we find out they're in the 28th century, and th- this was a quite a funny little comment that the Doctor said, is that he said he's not curious. He's not curious at all about anything, which we all know is to be a lie. But they call each other by their first names as well, Carol and John, so... Well, yes. We find out that there is a, another um, companion on the ship, and, and his name me? is John. And is it me, right? But the guy who plays John, I swear he looks like a younger version of Peter Capaldi. Well, we'll get into John in a bit. We find out a bit of the backstory. There are these sort of uh, telepathic aliens called That's the Sensorites. That's but still. Well, well, Peter Capaldi's Scottish, Becky. Well, yeah, we know Peter Capaldi's Scottish. And an angry Scotsman a lot of the time, but, you know, he sort of looks like him in a weird sort of way. He's even got his nose. Well, maybe he's a, a long-lost relative. Peter Cabaldi. Yeah, we find out the backstory of uh, what these aliens called the Sensorites. They're kind of like telepathic alien type creatures. Basically, they take control over parts of the brain. And, and I hate to say it, but to be honest to me, right, the way they are sounds like a kid with an ASD. Because the pure and simple fact, they don't like bright lights, they don't like loud noises. That just sounds like... A lot of people I know with an ASD. Well, that's just because of the, the way they are. We'll get on to the, what the sense the sense right character and what they look like in a minute. They don't really like to touch people. They don't really touch people very much either. Well, yeah. But let's say we'll get on to the, the characters And they're very socially minute. awkward. They end up off screen removing the key lock from the TARDIS, uh, effectively trapping the Doctor and his companions on the spaceship, and later on, they sort of blackmail them a little bit into doing a, a bit. It's a bit like the Keys of Marinus with the storyline, like they sort of are trapped there, and they have to do this sort of task to leave, basically. Ian, yeah, kind of bribed into the fact of, oh, well, you can leave, but only if you help us with this, and if not, we're gonna bump you off. Not only is uh, Ian a man of action like he was in the Aztecs and the Keys of Marinus, Becky, but he is also a pilot of strange starships. Stronger than I am. Which is your parallel thrust? There. Right, velocity tested and check velocity. Here. Yeah. It's not even on the unit marker, Doctor. Don't try and control the spacecraft. It's suicide, I tell you. Please go away. Velocity needle's hitting the red, Doctor. Right, stabilise his matron. He, that I tell you, there's no ending to yeah, Ian's abilities. Yeah, and the rest abilities. of it, he spends unconscious. Well, it's quite funny how they say they they have this sort of sequence where they're being sort of pulled towards the planet, and what the big um, white blob painted on the screen. Well, <laughs> like we said before, sixties budget, Becky. Sixties budget. But the doctor says to Ian, you know, check check the velocity, keep an eye on it, and Ian instantly it was knows a where it is. Cut though, there because the pure and simple fact that 
one minute it's like full view and then the next minute it's sort of gone over to the side. So they must have slot in a different picture. Well, maybe, yeah. Like I say, Becky, they ain't got the big budgets at which the Hollywood blockbusters have got now. They sort of had to do it all there and there on the screen. They can't exactly put the CG, CGI in later on, can they? The, we find out that the companions can sort of resist this sort of mind control by the sensoroid. Um, except for later on, we'll mention now that actually Susan seems to have a bit of telepathy and she can actually communicate with them. Which is a bit strange because I've never known, because obviously the never. spoiler the spoiler is, is that Susan is obviously a Time Lord. We find that out obviously later on about the Time Lords. They haven't really called the Doctor the Time Lord yet, but we find that Susan is a Time Lord. Well, seeing as though she told the Sensorites that they weren't human and she longed to go back to her own planet. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a little bit later on. We sort of get a little bit of a description of uh, what we come to know as Gallifrey later on in one of the later episodes. Yeah, but that's kind of weird in like later seasons where he goes on about going off in the TARDIS on his own. He never mentions Susan. Well, she does get a little bit forgotten. I'll mention a little point on Susan. While we're talking about Susan, why not? I've always thought to myself, you know, they could always bring Susan back because if she's a Time Lord, she can regenerate. Because the Smith episode, um, when he sees with a song and that, he says about... You know, she asked him about having a family of his own. Yeah, but we come... I don't know the backstory so much about Susan, but she's obviously not the granddaughter of the Doctor. She's sort of like a, an adopted granddaughter. So he doesn't have a family of his own. That's just... There's sort of, some of the continuity gets a little bit lost along the way, I think, in the future. Maybe her parents are bumped up in a time war. Well, I th- I'm not really too sure. We'll have to find out when we go through Wasn't if they do Gallifrey mention. Gallifrey destroyed in a time war. Well, we're not up to that yet, but there's Gallifrey's always been destroyed and comes back and then gets destroyed again. Just like the Daleks, then. A bit like that, yeah. <laughs> uh, Barbara there and Susan, they're sort of making some some sort of breakfast or dinner or whatever it is, uh, and she asks about water, and I put they clearly walk past the water sign because it's at well, the yeah, bottom. It says it. I like it how she says over there to your right, and they just go through a door, and I said for crying out loud, it clearly says there, right there, big like rectangle thing says water. Yeah, well, that was one of the Learn points. Learn to read. That was one of the points I was going to make is that she says the water's, you know, go down there to the right. She could easily just point and say it's right there behind you, but. You know, the space and the set of this starship is actually quite small, but they kind of build it up as being quite big and large. So they sort of, you know, it's only in a studio. The studio obviously isn't that big. They have to sort of work with what they got. So they're trying to sort of make it seem bigger than what it is. Uh, Barbara and Susan, they end up going down the corridor and there is a, a zombie John. Uh, there He's is not a really a zombie. He's under mind control. Well, I, he kind of, he's kind of sort of stalking around a bit like the Walking Dead, Becky. Yeah, but the Walking Dead had a virus and they were dead, you know, not, and he weren't dead. Well, we find out a bit of backstory about John later on. He was, he was, he was mind controlled, it's different. Okay, mind controlled then. We find out a bit of his backstory from Carol. They were uh, engaged to be married. So there's a little bit. It's like hypnosis. A little bit of a love love story there between John and Carol. But he's sort of being mind-controlled, as Becky says, by the sensorites. Exaggerated swiping of the doors. Obviously, these are automatic doors where they're like a little peephole that you sort of, you know, like nowadays you sort of wave your hand over, like they have them in toilets or something, automatic flushes, that sort of thing. But there's such an exaggeration of the waving of the arms where they want to open these doors. And also, also I was going to say, Becky, how many swipes is it? Is it two? Is it one? Because it seems that they do two swipes and then they open, but... Nowadays, it would just be one swipe and it would open or it would yeah, work. Yeah, there was quite exaggerated swipes, really, with like massive waving of the arms and stuff. And I'm like, well, I wouldn't take that to do it. And not only that, there's also the other thing of, you know, the doors themselves. What the hell were they made out of? Well, I've put a point of that in a in a minute. So... They because you've got as flimsy as corrugated cardboard. So because you've got Barbara and Susan, they're sort of in danger, or they think they're in danger from John, who's obviously been mind controlled. They sort of hide in plain sight. Again, they sort of do this as well. They sort of hide around the corner. The person comes in, sort of with the back to them, and then walks out. 
I did this in um, The Keys of Marinus in one of the scenes with Barbara again. I tell you, she's not very good at hide and seek, Barbara. She sort of really, hides in no. plain sight. They... She, she tends to hide, and then when she thinks that they're gone, and I put that in inverted commas, they're not. They've just come up to her, and she's like, oh, okay, crap. It's a bit daft, really. It should be like the worst hide and seek ever. Uh, a point I forgot to got to quickly make is that while they're in this corridor and you've got John Sulkin and Stalkin them, he actually. Skulkin. Skulkin, whatever, Becky. Not Sulking. Skulkin, Sulkin, Stalkin, Walkin, whatever, Becky. Well, no, Skulkin is sort of like, you know, Skulkin around. Don't worry, Becky. Stalkin is obviously Stalkin things, but making sure you're not seen. And Sulking is getting moody. Well, Bit of a difference. Well, the point I'm trying to make is that. John actually locks the corridor door so that the companions can't get to Susan and Barbara and they have to end up using the world's smallest laser cutter to open the door. <laughs> How slow was that thing going? It was like, I don't know, they looked, that seems like they were there for about two hours just to cut a bit about an inch long. Well, they got the world's smallest cutter, but they got the <laughs> world's largest light switches as well because it's like a lever. <laughs> quite, quite, quite a funny little thing. Then they hear this uh, wine, this high Apparently wine. Apparently, smallest brains as well. Well, maybe they ha- they hear the sound, this high pitched wine, which is the sensorites coming in their sort of ship. Ian, in his wisdom, just basically says, "I've never met these be- these sort of aliens before, but we should basically attack them." And he gets a bit sort of he wants to just be violent in this one. He's really Shoot really first, weird. Ask questions later. Well, that's it. And there's saying that there's a lot of people who do that, a lot of dictators, a lot of governments, and you know, at the end of the day, you know, you, uh, there was always a thing of innocent till proven guilty, and sometimes people, you know, like they say, there'd been humans on the planet before, so they were reluctant to trust the humans again. Well, we'll get a so, bit of uh, we'll get a bit of the sensorites backstory of their planet in a minute. Uh, the cliffhanger for this that's, one. That's like saying, you know. Just because one little humans are arseholes don't mean everyone else is. Well, that's it. Uh, the so cliffhanger for this one is that Ian's looking just out... Just like with... the Daleks are arseholes, but well, I don't mean the I will, I will. I will get to the to the ending of the episode in, in this podcast at some time. Uh, the cliffhanger was as Ian's looking at the sort of viewfinder. A sensoroid sort of appears outside, which... To me, it's a it's a cool cool little cliffhanger, a little bit of a funny one as well, and then that leads into the like the next episode, the unwilling warrior, Carol and Maitland. They sort of get paralysed by the sight of this sensorite at the window, and also I quickly mentioned that the cliffhanger for the first episode and the second episode are different. You've got in the first cliffhanger, the sensorite's hands are at the window, whereas in the second episode, his hands aren't; they're down by the side. So it's a little bit of a continuity little bit of continuity issue there. They're sort of uh, trying to control John a little bit more to harm Barbara and Susan. And Ian pounds on clearly what is a, a wooden metal door. Because when he's hitting it, it's like really sort of hollow. You'd have that metal sound, that sort of tinny sort of metal sound. But you don't really, they didn't really put that in, which I thought was quite a interesting thing. They didn't put that sound effect in. The Sensorites costume, Becky. What did you think of the Sensorites costume? Well, it looked like basically that the Teletubbies had stolen their outfits from the Sensorites and painted them. I thought the mask for you got to think always back to it's done I'm in what 1964. About the bottom bit. Well, I know they sort of they do not have no they sort of had built-in shoes. Built-in shoes. They look worse than the Teletubbies. And well. then there's basically the fact of the masks, and that's like, what the hell is going on here? Someone looks like they put plaster scene over a load of cat hair. I thought that the, the mask wasn't too bad. It actually it doesn't... It looked like someone had put pl- mixed plaster scene with cat hair and just dumped it on. I thought it was quite good for, for what it was. I thought it was quite... And that's like they forgot the slits it in the eyes good. and thought, oh, actually, we'll just keep it like that. Well, they're, supposed to, they're not supposed to have any eyelids, Becky. That was one of the points. That's why the... Yeah, dark... but what about the mouth? That's why the darkness affects them and they're scared the of the dark. The weird. Well, the, the mouth doesn't really move very well. That's so not that's me. Not very good. You made a point well, off recording about them looking like the Ood. Oh, so yeah, because of the pure the, um, disky things on the head that they have attached to a wire, and um, which one, 
what's the other end of the wire attached to for a start and then there's the little disc things they put on their head but then with the oud they have the little ball in their hands well they are related to the oud that is actually a little bit of a true point russell t davis who actually came up with the idea of the oud he used uh, the sensor rights as inspiration and their eyes look the same apart from the oud's eyes are a little bit bigger and a lot more cat-like you know but the oud are less hairy and more tentacly well they're just like a, a sort of a relative of the sensorites the oud and they're taller and john, pinker and they wear better clothing i thought john or uh stephen dartnell who and played who played john he <laughs> he was very good at doing troubled acting i thought like a troubled mind i thought his acting of that was really really no that's what my brain's like before coffee but at the end of the day I can understand how uh, he has a bit of a troubled mind. My, my brain's like that all the time before coffee. Don't I know it. <laughs> Barbara and Susan, they use their minds to defy the sensor rights mind control yeah, by saying, we t- defy you. Yeah, they've never done that before. How do they know it all works? They know that their mind, you know, that they, they use yeah, mind control, mind. Becky. So they're yeah, obviously trying to sort of... a race that uses mind control... And humans who have never even done any sort of telepathy before, surely they, humans wouldn't actually be able to do that to someone who's great in mind control. Well, anyway. Just seems a bit daft. Anyway, uh, Ian and Barbara, because obviously Ian and the companions, they finally do get the door open and get to Barbara and Susan. You know, that's like a They mate, go like off. To find the sensor rights uh, when they end up affecting Carol and Maitland. That's like if you get like a fully trained samurai, right? For instance, put them up against a fucking a bloody three-year-old. Well, you're talking about a point I've just made, and I'm going on to the next point now, Becky. So, so have you finished? You need to get your answer and your conversation pieces in quicker because we've got another five episodes to get through. Um, they have a face-to-face with the, the sensorites, and Ian wants to bash them with this metal pole. Again, he's so aggressive in this one. Who said it was metal? Well, it looks like a metal pole. Could be plastic. Well, he's not going to get very far if it's plastic. Then, Could is be wooden. Hard plastic will do some damage. Trust me. Oh. Been there, done that. They managed to, sort of, Ian and Barbara managed to back off out. Barbara ends up getting away and the sensorites stalk Ian. Barbara becomes the voice of I'd reason. I'd stalk Ian, he's not a bad looking bloke. I At that time, he probably think, is now. Well, I think he's still alive now, so. We'll, yeah, probably we'll, ancient. We'll hit him up on, on Twitter, shall we? Oh, I don't think so. Uh, Barbara becomes the voice of reason. Well, no, I don't even have Twitter. Barbara becomes the voice of reason and uh, she basically asks Ian, have these sensorites actually hurt you? So why are you being violent to them? Or why do you want to be violent to them? So she's sort of voice of reason a little bit there. Ian, no. Why not? How else can I keep these creatures off? Well, do you need to keep them off? Have they actually attacked you? Come on, John. Lock the door. The sensorites communicate. Yeah, but then she'd probably be the same about a spider. Well, maybe. You know, it ain't hurt you, so don't hurt it. My theory is with bugs, squash them first, then they can't bite you. The sensorite's not a bug, though, Becky. It's a bug of a different form. The sensorites communicate with Susan, obviously because she's got that sort of telepathy and they just want to talk and uh, they want the, the Doctor and his companions to live on what they're calling, a bit of a tongue twister for me, this one, the sense sphere, which is their home planet, uh, which the, st- uh, the spaceship's orbiting. So the Doctor... Yeah, you never really sort of get to see them land, though. Well, no, because like I say, it's not in the budget. Doctor, the Doctor threatens the sensor, sensor rights to give back his lock, and the Doctor concludes that the sensor rights are afraid of the dark because their eyes can't see in the dark. Which is, to be fair, a little bit of a, a little bit of a poor um, Achilles heel, I think, because you just turn off all the lights because human Either eyes can that. adjust to the darkness. You could easily defeat them. Well, if you eat plenty of carrots and. And that's actually true because car- um, carrots have a lot of keratin in, so they're good for your eyesight and your hair. Um, 
Susan nails. Susan makes a, a compromise with the sensor rights and she agrees to go to the planet. Yeah, but they say about they don't really say about the noise till later on because obviously they have issues with their eyes and stuff. They don't like the dark. But they don't really mention about the fact they don't like noise till a bit later on. Yeah, that's a little when bit of the doctor decides to keep shouting. That is a little bit of a thrown in <laughs> thrown in weakness that. later on. I'd do that. I'd keep shouting when someone told me to be quiet. So Susan agrees to go with them to the planet and that's kind of like the the cliffhanger. Uh, the next one is uh, the... As you can tell, I'm the sort of person who bangs pots and pans when people are hungover. Well, that's because you've got a mean streak, Becky. <laughs> no, it's just funny. Oh, well. Cruel streak, then. Next episode is The it's Hidden Danger. Cruel. It is funny, and you would do... And Come on, you've done the same with me when I was hungover. You showered at me. Well, different. Hidden Danger is episode three. The cliffhanger, again, is slightly different in this one, because... Susan sort of says all that sort of exposition about going to the planet and she did it before she sort of went with the sensorites and she kind of done it when she was going with them. So Ian decides that they're not going to let Susan go down to the planet and they follow her. They open the door and to be fair, Susan and the sensorites didn't get very far because they literally like about halfway down the corridor before, you know, as they're walking away. It's quite funny. They refuse the sensorites to take Susan and they use the darkness as sort of a way of about yeah, saving her, really. Off in the corridor. Well, that's it. I thought they have these little, little like, um, they're sort of like weapons, which like a sort of. And then he gets arsy and he's like, oh, well, I'll tell you what to do, not them. Well. Or go on a parental. Well, that's, what, that's the doctor, folks. You know, Becky didn't say it was a doctor, but that happens after this. The sensorites have this like little weapon thingy that paralyzes. It's like a sort of a circle with a cross in it. And when they turn well, the lights off... Was it a cross or was it an X? I don't really know. A cross is an X, isn't it? Well, no. Because Jesus weren't heart crucified on an X, was he? Well, it's either way you look at it. <laughs> so when they turn the lights off, they drop these weapons. Ian has perfect sight in the dark because he's able to pick them up instantly. He just literally just looks at Told them, picks them up. he's been eating his carrots. Well, he's like Superman, man. He can control starships. He can wrestle. He can fight. He can see in the dark. He can see in the dark now. Then we get that sort of telling off from the Doctor to Susan. And Susan's basically saying that she's now growing up and she's able to make her own decisions. Yes, and I assure you we shall make good use of that fact, but not without discussions. You will not make decisions on your own accord. Now, do you understand? Is that quite clear? Well, is it? Look, I'm not saying I'm as clever as you or anything. Of course I'm not. But I won't be pushed aside. I'm not a child anymore, Grandfather. I'm not. Oh, Susan, Susan. Why do you make her unhappy? We can read the misery in her mind. Yes, and it's a good thing you can't read the anger in mine. And as my parents would say, when you are under my roof, no, you don't. They end up going down to the the planet and the Doctor wants to meet the sort of ruler of the planet, which is called the First Elder. They have a face-to-face meeting. Original name. Yeah, I know. Uh, they have a face-to-face name. Uh, you see, you're getting me talking about names. How face-to-face how meeting. face-to-face meeting, though, because you can't really see properly. Well, I know. We get a bit of the Sensorite's backstory. Basically, there was a crew uh, from one of these starships that come to the planet. It ended up, they sort of blame them a little bit, don't they, for introducing this disease to the to the sensorites that's uh, killing certain sensorites, not all of them, but some of them. And then end, they ended up, uh, their ship exploded. That's kind of the long and short of what the story is, the reason behind why they've got this sort of disease. So the reason why the disease there is because humans bought it. Well, but, technically they did. Also, Barbara, she stayed behind on the starship for a couple of episodes. This, again, we've said this in the last episode, uh, how... People keep going on holiday. That's that's the thing, Becky. Yes, uh, Jacqueline Hill, she went on holiday for two episodes. See, and I fully fully expect in the next one... They they ever heard of this little thing called um, go on holiday when it's finished filming? Well, that, that's going to be the point, isn't it? The next episode, which will be the Reign of Terror, I'm fully expecting Ian to go on holiday and to have a couple of uh, couple of episodes oh, off. So we can get a snarky attitude. Wow. 
there was a mention to a beaming in this episode, which I thought was another beaming. Star Trek. Beaming what? Well, he said about beaming the dis- was it the dis um what's it called the dis- disintegrator. Disintegrator. That's it. The disintegrator. I'd like so a disintegrator. Another... It'd be another form of lipo. Yeah. So that's another sort of Star Trek reference in my mind. So target specific areas. So from now on, the story is kind of there are two sort of two types of sensorites. There's the sensorites that trust the Doctor and his companions, and then then, then there's the dickheads. Yeah, well, there's the untrusting sensorites who don't like humans because of this disease that they believe they brought to them, and. There, there's a there's a moment where the Doctor, Ian, and Susan have uh, some dinner. Social distancing before it was a thing because they were like hey. sitting on individual tables with like a meter distance. I, I thought it was really well, it, was like about, it was about less than a foot. Well, it's socially distanced. I thought in the no, world we live in today, distanced? the world we live in today, it, it's kind soci- of before. It, it ain't socially distanced a foot. Is like a normal spacing around a table. Right. Uh, we get the disease backstory that it affects some but not others. They give some water to Ian, Doctor, and Susan, but the first elder says, "No, we're not going to give you this. We want to give you this crystal clear water or crystal water." Whatever and you Ian call it. drinks it first. Ian decides that he's going to drink this, uh, as they called it, vintage water before because. He's thirsty, so he drinks, starts coughing, and then Ian starts clapping. Yep, that's it. He collapses, and he's basically dying, and that's the end of the episode. Uh, A race. Episode four: A race against death. The doctor surmises that it's the water that's affecting everyone. Ian comes around. The uh, the doctor says that he's been poisoned and that they need to find an antidote and that the doctor wants to work with the scientists. He does want his lock back for the TARDIS because he says he's got some stuff for the TARDIS, but they refuse that because the what is it the city administrator, who's somebody who mistrusts humans, he ends up starting to plot against them and there's several plots that he does. He sort of isn't was it him that got into the first elder's ear or was it the second elder who got into the first elder's ear? I can't remember. Anyway, Ian has three days to to live because it, normally this is how long it takes to, to kill the sensorites. And the doctor says that he's going to get a cure or manufacture a cure. John is being cured by the scientist, uh, scientific sensorite because obviously of this mind control that sort of warped his brain, as we've said. They're trying to cure him by sort of... They, they sort of... They um, described it as sort of a veil in front of the eyes and lifting the veil, but they need it so that he can close again so that he's not he doesn't basically lose his mind. That's what they're basically saying. Carol then puts an idea into the city of Administrator Sensorite's brain, which is that the sashes, because uh, the first elder wears two sashes and a cross, the second elder wears just one sash, she puts this sort of idea that without the sashes, they can't be told apart. And that puts that idea into the city administrator's well, head. you can, actually, because the city administrator was more hairy and the uh, and the two elders were more smooth. That clearly well, also, they don't pay attention to body hair. Well, also the size as well. You know, if you've got plumper, plumper sensorites than other ones I've, I've found as well. We get... Um, yeah, but one could be having a bad day. One could just be bloated. Maybe. Like I said, there's a lot of plotting by the city of uh, city administrator. Obviously, he wants to kill the doctor and his companions uh, and get rid of them. There's a, a montage of Ian and science where, obviously, the doctor's trying to... There's 10 different like districts of water, and the doctor's trying to sort of test all the different districts to see which one is the poisoned one. The doctor then ends up finding a cure and an antidote. Antidote. Well, yeah, because it ends up being deadly night shows. And the city administrator, he thinks that the doctor and Ian are faking it so that they can basically poison the sensorites, and he then ends up stealing the second elder's sta- uh, sash and poses as the second elder. And then bumps him off. Well, that's a bit later on. He ends up. He does end up killing him, and then they end up electing him as the second elder. That's later on. 
John tries to warn the Doctor because he overhears this plot. Then the Doctor sends the antidote to Ian with the scientist, but the city administrator posing as the second scientist ends up interrupting him and takes the antidote and smashes it on the floor. The city administrator posing as the second elder. Yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, I thought I was on a roll then, Becky. <laughs> the Doctor then, because they find a source of where this poison's coming from, uh, it's an aqueduct. Now, allow me, I've made a few notes here which might interest you. Now, this is, this, this is the symptoms. Atropine causes dilation of the blood vessels, temperature rises, and pulse rate becomes very rapid. A rash may appear. The mouth and throat both become extremely dry. Now, what we have to do is this gentleman isolate the poison and then prescribe the remedy. We give you our assistance. Good, good. No, we have tested the water already. Yes, well, then we must try again. The doctor then goes to the, the aqueduct, and then we find out, obviously, like darkness and noise affects the sensorites. He goes into the duct, but he is warned of monsters or creatures that are roaming the the aqueduct susan then gets a little bit more of the antidote from the scientist he, she gives that to ian and then he and the student they go to help the doctor and the doctor finds out but he said it's deadly nightshade in the water and it's being poisoned and there's a roar and that's the end of that episode and we go into the episode five which is kidnapped which is a really weird um title for the episode because it doesn't really happen to the end of the episode, the kidnapping, and I just think that kind of gives away a little bit of the plot of this episode. The Doctor ends up becoming unconscious after hearing this roar, and Ian and Susan go to and make the save. That's it. His coat gets ripped. John, in this this part of the this sort of story of the episode, John is nearly better, and he only has one treatment. We also find out that, the, yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Only has one treatment. No, because that could mean that he only had one treatment, whereas he had plenty of treatments and he only had one left. Oh, okay, then he hadn't had one left. We find out the doctor only has one heart in this episode, which again is another continuity error because he has what? He has two hearts, which we find out later on in a future serial. Probably a little bit more towards, I don't know, does it get mentioned in John Pertwee's years? I think maybe it does. I can't remember. I can't remember if any. Well, the only person I can remember mentioning that is um, David Tennant when he kind of goes from Christopher Eccleston to David Tennant. Well, it does get. I think it gets mentioned before that. The Doctor says that you know there's these sensorites working against them. They need to go find out who it is. Ian then is missing Barbara up in the spaceship, and he wants to ask the first Elder if if she can come down. Because obviously a holiday must have been up at this time, so she must come, she needs to get back to the episode or come back into the episode. So this is the way they're going to do it. The second elder, or shall I say, the city administrator as the second elder, he then blackmails, or this is slightly before this bit, but he blackmails disintegration key. They try to set it up only for then the original second elder. He then fights the city administrator, breaking the key. The sensorite then brings a cloak to the Doctor, so we get a first costume change for the Doctor. It's this, I think he has another costume change in the next episode, but he hasn't really... He's kept that sort of look from the first episode to now, except for the little pointy hat thing he had in the first serial. He hasn't really had well, any... ridiculous hat, yeah. Well, yeah, but... It's like a cross between a fez and an army hat. Something like that, yep. Looks so stupid. The second elder... We quickly rewind the city administrator posing as the second elder. When they had that little fight over the disin- disintegration key, he ends up killing the original second elder. So they bring that. Uh, well, and they break the key. Yeah, I said I did say they break the key. Um, they bring this death to the first elder, and they name the doctor as the person who did it. Ian then traps the sensoroids by saying. Because they tried to say, oh, well, the Doctor had something in his coat, but obviously we know his coat's been ripped. Then they tried to say, it was his, oh, well, that was his cloak, but he's only now got the cloak, so they sort of trap him. Say that you saw him take an object from his pocket. Yes. You could see quite clearly. You sure it was from his coat pocket? I tell you, yes. All the sensorites know the Doctor by his... The Doctor's coat is outside the aqueduct. You are lying. Then, then it, it was a cloak he was wearing. Yes, it was. I'm sure of it now. 
It was a cloak. I have just presented the doctor with that cloak. Your story is a tissue of lies. They think that the second elder is their enemy because obviously the city administrators posing as the second elder. They ally with the city administrator and he becomes the second elder. So his sort of plan works. Uh, the doctor checks in on John and John is cured at this point. So he sort of, his mind is more clear now, but he can't really remember the full details of this sort of plot that's happening. They sort of wheedle it out of him and then they figure out that it is the city administrator who is the one who is the enemy. There's some more plotting because I don't, I'm not going to go through all the plotting because there's quite a lot of plot. Uh, the water is uh, poisoned on purpose. We find that out and uh, Barbara then comes down from the yeah, spaceship. Yeah, that's the trouble. Very much a lot of things based on that. The Doctor and Ian want to go back to the aqueducts because obviously this is this poison's on purpose. They get given weapons and a map. The map has been tampered with to show them different routes and the weapons don't work. We get another staple of Doctor Who, which is that the Doctor is opposed to weapons. He doesn't like weapons. We find that out here. And then the ending, like we said is the name of the episode, which is that Carol gets kidnapped, and then we get the last episode, which is a desperate venture. Carol's forced to write a letter to John and Susan saying that she's gone up to the spaceship, but as Barbara's come back, she says, well, that hasn't happened because she went up there when I was up there. So they really find, they find out it's a fake note really, really quickly. The first elder tells Ian and the Doctor, they figure out that the sort of weapons and the map are useless. They see something moving, Ian's going to whack it with a rolled up piece of paper, Becky. What a weapon. Works on ants and flies. Bugs. It's not going to work on a monster, though, is it? It's not a monster, is it? Again, Ian takes the lead here with being the man of action. It ain't a monster, though. I don't know. What, what is the Doctor going to do when Ian leaves him? He's not going to have a man of action anymore. No, he'll have to do the work himself. We basically find out that the people inhabiting the aqueducts are actually men from the exploded starship. They think they're in a war with the sensorites. That's the reason why they've been poisoning all these well, different waters. So not only are they poisoned the waters, the other two were actually deserters and they arranged to blow up the spaceship. But yep. you know, Barbara and John finding out from the first elder that the Doctor and Ian had gone to the aqueducts to follow. And they use uh, Susan as a mind guide back at the sort of city because she's obviously got that telepathy. She's talking to Barbara, telling her where to go, using a sort of funny sort of map type thingy on a table, which is kind of like a three-dimensional... It's a 3D model of the aqueducts. Okay, then, 3D model of the aqueducts. They get face-to-face, obviously, with the men. They get taken to the commander, which, again, to me, there was another Star Trek reference there, but... Did Star- well, no, they said number one, which is a Star Trek Generations um, reference. But then you could say Star Trek Next Generation came after this. So did they steal it? The Doctor meets the commander. Then we get this sort of backstory about why they're there and what they're doing it. We nearly lost, you know. I had command of a fine spaceship. Very fine. Two of my men deserted. Pretended they had to go back to Earth to get reinforcements. So you had to blow up your spaceship? Yes. Still, I suppose I'll get another one. I'll be able to afford it now. Planet's very rich, you know. Ah, yes. Molybdenum. Oh. You know about that, do you? They all sort of leave. There's a little bit of an ambush. The main commander gets paralysed by the sensorites. The second elder is banished from the city. The doctor gets his lock back. And they leave. And then Susan starting to contemplate leaving Becky. I thought she was getting to the point where she's now... She's saying that she wants to find somewhere where she belongs. To me, that's a hint that she's thinking about leaving. And we'll have to find out when she leaves. Probably when she's actually an adult. She's now saying she's growing up now, Becky, though. So there's two sort of... implications in this episode for Susan. One, she's saying she's growing older, and two, she's saying she wants somewhere to belong, saying that she wants to sort of leave. The Ian and Doctor clash again for about the 50th time in this serial because Ian implies that the Doctor doesn't know where he's going. The Doctor then says, well, 
if you feel like that, then you can get off at the next stop then. And that's the end of the episode and the end of the serial. So that one's the Sensorite. So again, this is why, in a way, I don't like six-part serials because there's so much to cram in. But you don't argue with someone when you're flying something. And not only that, trust me, been there and I basically got told that I'd be thrown off a humble bridge. So, Mm. you know. Well, that's just it's just that Ian Doctor bickering again that seems to be throughout the whole serial. Yep, like saying this is the reason why I don't like six part episodes. It's so much to cram in, and I do like to give a little bit of a, a sort of plot line. It's it's a lot to cram in, so we are, I am kind of speeding through it, trying to keep the podcast into a forty to fifty minute format. So you know, I might actually in the end because obviously the the sort of format of these podcasts ever evolve and and i keep changing it up and trying to think of different ways to do it maybe try and do a a sort of summary synopsis of each episode i think i might do that in the future and see how that goes from the next episode which will be the reign of terror the reign of terror again is another six part it is actually the final part or final serial of this series one or season one whatever you want to call it this one is um, it has four episodes that are actually in the archive, two that are missing. The two that we've got on the DVD are animated, so we can watch the whole serial as it is, and we'll obviously comment on the animated episodes as well, unlike Marco Polo, where we watched half an hour telly snaps and didn't really get a feel for it, but yeah, like I said. So moving on to, like I said about the poll earlier that this one was 220, what was it? 225, 25 out of 241. Quickly going back from the other episodes that were done. An Earthly Child was 78. This is all out of really? two. Really? Yep. Uh, out of 241 episodes at the time of doing the poll. So did I say, An Earthly Child was 78. The Daleks was 46. That I can understand. Edge of Destruction was 183. Marco Polo was 84. The Keys of Marinus was 192. And the Aztecs was 61. So they're varied and they're probably in their correct places. Except for An Earthly Child. I don't agree with that being as high as what that is. It probably needs to be a bit lower. So if we go to a rate, and or actually, first of all, like we always do, we'll go to the uh, the episode guide and we'll get the verdict on the sensor rights. It is a spooky first episode, gives way to humdrum story set against the bland environments of the sense sphere. The sensor rights, although initially impressive, ends up looking rather silly. Three out of ten, Becky. Now... I did say that I'd go back and get all the ratings for the previous episodes. I have done that. So quickly, Unearthly Child, uh, we'll put this into me and you. So mine was a 7 out of 10. Yours was a 5.5 out of 10. The Daleks, mine was 8 out of 10. Yours was 8 out of 10. Edge of Destruction, mine was 5 out of 10. Yours was a 7 out of 10. Marco Polo, we didn't rate because I thought it would be unfair. The Keys of Marinus was a 7 out of 10 for me and a 7 out of 10 for you. And Aztecs, we both said a 7.5 out of 10. So what do you think the Sensorites rates out of all of them? So, well, one as good as the Daleks. Well, the Daleks is always going to be the best story in that series. The Aztecs. Keys and Marinus are like would you Would you say that the Sensorites is probably... I'd say the, about a 6. Would you, well, would you say that the... Se- I liked it better than an unearthly child. But I didn't like it more than the Keys of Marinus. I think I think I'll agree with you. I think it's a six out of ten. Do you think that the sense rights so far is the weakest story we've seen? Is it the the weakest serial? Well, is it? I didn't really think much of that one. Do you think that Edge of Destruction is a weaker serial? See, I put it as a five out of ten, and I think it's a weaker serial than the sense rights. I don't know. Well, I wouldn't say so. No, because um. Even though, you know, they weren't really doing much in the Edge of Destruction, you know, it was more of a fact of, you know, there was a lot more drama going on. And you kind of knew when it was going to end. And you knew full well, right, that episode, right, that's not finished. But then when you, with this one, it's like you get to one episode, you get towards the end of an episode and think, oh, that's the end. And then actually that's not. And it's like, oh, great, here we come, we've got more. <laughs> it's just like, well, what episode is this? Is this one going to be the last one? 
it is going to be the last one. Yeah. And then, but I didn't have that with the Edge of Destruction, so yeah, I'd say Edge, Edge of Destruction was better. The, the trouble is with the Edge of Destruction is it's only two episodes, with this one's six. I can understand what you're saying. You do kind of think, I did oh, think towards the end, you know, already? is this going to be the ending? Is it going to end now? It's kind of my first viewing of it. I quite, I thought it was okay. It was okay, yeah, and it was all right for a story, but the story was far too long-winded. You know, it was too, it was too long. It should have been a three or a four parter, and it went on for way, way, way too long. It got a bit tedious. Oh, that is it. So yeah, I would say the Edge of Destruction is better. Well, because as much as they didn't even leave the TARDIS, at least there was more to the story. At the end of the next episode that we do, we will have a season review and we'll go through, you know, what we thought of the season as a whole. The next episode is The Reign of Terror. I'll go through a quick sort of synopsis, only one line. This one is The TARDIS Lands in Paris during Rope Spear's infamous Reign of Terror. Paris. Oh, again, well, this... He did promise you'd take me to Paris this year. Well, there we go. It's <laughs> on the screen. Uh, social medias, Facebook. Still waiting for that. Well, we'll get there eventually. We'll see, won't we? Facebook, Regenerated Doctor Who podcast. Uh, Twitter, Regenerated 1963. Website, Regenerated 1963.wixsite.com forward slash regenerated. And Patreon at patreon.com forward slash regenerated. So, until next time, I think we better leave it there, Becky. And being as it's the uh, season finale, we'll have to get you to do these impressions that we've been waiting for for the last couple of weeks. Well, you get them when they come in my head. Well, we we had the nice Mars attacks one last week. We'll see which one we can pull out of your head next week, shall we? I don't know, because I've never seen Reign of Terror, so, you know. We'll see. And on that note, we will leave it there. So until the Reign of Terror... I will say goodbye, so say goodbye, Becky. Goodbye. Goodbye.